Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. There are not too many traditionally team sports in the Winter Olympics, but Chris Kinney is part of one of them, the four-man bobsled. Chris found bobsled about four or five years ago. He had been a hurdler in high school and college. And he found the bobsled and became a part of Team USA, representing the United States in the 2018 Winter Olympics. Uh, he shared his coming out story last week on Outsports, and there are so many elements that make it interesting. He's multiracial. He uh, does not like to label his sexual orientation, and he talks with me in this episode about that. He has competed for both Japan and the United States, and he has different experiences being a, a, a black Japanese man, uh, as well as being LGBTQ, very different experiences in those two countries. So we talk about that. Plus, one of the things I always love asking LGBTQ Olympians who are in the 2016 and 2018 games is what were they thinking as they saw these other LGBTQ athletes making national and international headlines? And he definitely has some thoughts about that, which is really cool. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olympic bobsledder Chris Kinney. Well, I'm here with Chris Kinney. And uh, as I was asking Chris if he goes by Chris or Christopher, he said he goes by a bunch of names. So, so what are all the names that you go by, Chris? Uh, uh, so Chris, Christopher, Stouffer. Uh, when I was in high school, my nickname on my track team was Oatmeal for some reason. I have no idea why the coach started calling me that, but yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Kai is one of my other nicknames. It's my Japanese nickname. So, oh, yeah. Got... Hmm? Oatmeal. Just one day the coach starts calling you oatmeal? Uh, so his, his, his justification for that was he was like, Chris Kinney, you are mixed with everything. You're black, white, you're Asian. He was like, you can put anything in oatmeal. You have, like, everything in you. So I'm just going to call you oatmeal. And I was just like, okay, coach, yeah, that's why you're – that's how you're fat. You're, you're naming me after food, but it, so for some reason it's stuck. I have no idea why. I'll call you Chris. We'll stick Thank with you. that. Thank uh, you. And you shared your story on Outsports last week, uh, which was amazing. Thank you for doing that. Incredibly honest and, and at times really raw and personal. Uh, what has been the reaction from people in and around you to your story? It's been, a, it's, the reaction has been very positive, but even so, it's still been emotionally overwhelming. Uh, I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of messages of support and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very nice. I mean, cause I'm being, I'm being very vulnerable telling my story and putting myself out there and just to see the positive response from teammates and people within my federation and friends. Uh, it's, it's been nice. You talk in the story about um, moments after your competition in, in 2018 at the Olympics, 
Um, I, I think it was kissing kissing a, a male friend and your teammates letting you know that it's okay. Yeah. Was it a surprise to people in your sport or had or by now two years after the Olympics, did most people do you think know? Uh so during the during the games, uh, I was I talked a lot with two of my fellow Team USA uh, teammates, and uh, I mean, one of them was very was encouraging me to let my team know. And the only reason I didn't let them know beforehand was because bobsled is a very political sport. There's there's team dynamics that go into play, and I didn't want. I, I already came in at a disadvantage. So I didn't want one more thing that could potentially be held against me uh, to be used against me. So uh, I kept it very quiet from my teammates. Uh, a lot of my friends knew. Um, and two or, three, two or three girls on the team knew as well. Um, but yeah, so I had, I, had, I had made a post that was, and, I, it's not, and beforehand, it's not like I'm, I'm trying to, really hide, go out of my way to really hide who I, who I am. Cause if, if any of my teammates would have asked me, Hey, like, Chris, are you, uh, like, are, are you gay? Do you like guys or, uh, bi? or if they, if they were to ask me, I would have told them honestly. Yeah. So I had post, I had made a post that a few of my teammates were kind of like, Wait, what is Chris doing? So then they were asking the they were asking the my female teammate that I'm very close with, like, is Chris is like Chris gay? And and she's just like, I don't know, just ask him. And uh, so she was telling me that they were asking. So I just addressed like I went up to my teammates and I was like, Hey guys, like I heard you're asking all of this. Um, and I'm like, Yeah, guys, if you just wanted to talk to me, like, or if you wanted to know, you could just like ask me and. They um and I, I told them straight out and they were like, You're still my like you're still my teammate. One of them hugged me and he was just like, I feel like I can make gay jokes with you now. And I'm just like, okay, okay. <laughs> well, it's funny because some of the some of the LGBTQ athletes that I talk to really like it when their teammates make gay jokes around them after they've come out because they feel like it's kind of a okay I'm just I'm just a part of the team and they feel comfortable enough to making kind of teasing me and making fun of this part of me and then yeah. other LGBTQ athletes don't like it at all even when they're out they they still kind of have their guard up and they're like listen you could say x y and z but I, you can't go there for you when your teammates kind of joke around and make fun of that part of you, does that make you feel good or indifferent or does it get at you? Um, you know, I don't really, I don't really care. Uh, we work together as a team. We have to function together as a team and we're always, I mean, I'm, I, I pick at my teammates as well. So it's, it's all in good. It's all in good fun. And I think it all depends on the, the intention behind the joke. And you can usually get a sense of what the intention is with the people that you're, you're close to. Um, I mean, even when we were, so, I mean, sometimes we have to share beds and stuff. And uh, I remember we were fighting over the, the AC. So the guys downstairs were trying to, or no, fighting over the heat. The guys downstairs were trying to crank up the heat. We're upstairs just burning up. And then uh, my, the, the, my teammate that I had to share this big king size bed with was just like, yeah, no, I didn't want to, like make you feel uncomfortable. And he's the guy I'm closest to on the team. 
he's like, I didn't want to make you like feel uncomfortable and just be like sleeping in my underwear or something like, or just like that. And I'm like, dude, it wouldn't be the first time <laughs> I've seen a guy in his underwear. Uh, <laughs> or welcome next to a guy in his underwear. So you're, you're fine. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. In sharing your story publicly, um, you know, Jim, I, I think Jim Bazinski, he was the person that had been in contact with you and he edited your story. And and he had mentioned that he had been in, in touch with you or had tried to reach out to you over the last 18 months. Did you have some hesitance about about sharing uh, who you are publicly? And, and, and what did that look like? I guess it has been that long. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long. Um, I'm pretty much an open book. Like if you were to ask me anything uh, about myself or anything that you wanted to know, I more likely than not would tell you um, or tell you what you want to know. But I, th I think there's a, like I say in my story, I don't like being labeled because I've, I've never felt like I've fit in with, my black peers, white peers, Asian peers. And, and even when I was in high school and I had gay friends that I would go out with and just go out into the scene with, like a part of me felt like I belonged in each of those groups, but then a part of me also felt kind of removed. And so when he'd been asking me over those few months, I definitely think there was some hesitance um, I mean, I'm, I've been seeing all of the stories that you guys have posted and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I'm so happy for these athletes telling their stories and coming out. But a part of me just feels like having to announce my presence to the world. Just it's I don't know. It's there's a bunch of mixed feelings there. How do you feel about it now? It felt, it feels, it definitely feels cathartic sharing my story, just opening up and sharing a part of, or sharing a part of my story with everyone. It's, yeah, it definitely feels, I suppose like a weight has been lifted, but though I, I a lot of my friends uh, knew about me prior to this article, but yeah, it's, it, I think it's different when you're, projecting outside of your circle because you're 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 in a sense being kind of vulnerable saying hey this is me and then you open yourself up to the everyone's opinions or criticisms of you it's incredibly vulnerable it's 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 obviously been a journey for you to get to this place and everybody has to find their own time to open up to people and to open up to people in such a, a mass way where the, you it's kind of like uh, letting the floodgates open. It's not picking and choosing one here and one there. It's like, okay, now everyone in the world has access to this, in, this very personal information about me. So I can understand how you were feeling about it and how you do feel now. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that, that I don't, I guess, stands out to me about the piece and it's something that you mentioned before is this concept of labels people are always interested in in how we how people identify and and the quote unquote mm -hmm. label we use or the words we use to describe us um and and your story is is void of the words gay queer bisexual bi pansexual mm -hmm. uh, it, it, 
that's a very conscious decision by you. Mm -hmm. um, is is there? Do you identify as LGBT, LGBTQ, or is 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 there literally no one word or term that that represents how you feel? I mean, I definitely fit in the the LGBTQ umbrella, um, but I wouldn't necessarily say I will. I'd stick to a specific term, uh, and I mean. This is just my personal experience uh, with, uh, well, one, how I identify. I mean, I'm outside of sexuality, but even within the confines of sexuality, people will, uh, like, when I'm in casual conversation, I'll just throw around, I'll throw around gay or bi, and, or just, I'll use them interchangeably just because it's, tiring to have to explain yourself every single time uh, to, to people. So I just, I let people use whatever label they feel most comfortable with, even though it's not how I necessarily see myself, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I you know, we have language, we have identities, we have labels, we, we, we try to communicate uh, with one another, uh, and and sometimes we have to we have to try to fit how we see the world into words that don't necessarily re fully reflect who we are, how we see things, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. That that okay, well, I guess there are these couple words out there that get close, but they still don't represent you. Mm -hmm. And 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 I don't mind being labeled by those words. Uh, I mean, by by people, because it, it just it, it makes it easier for them to, I guess, put me in a category or put me somewhere. And I, I mean, growing up, I had problems with that or how I was seen by people and being put in that category, especially when dating. Uh, or when I would, I mean, a few of the, the girls that I would date that I, I was really into and stuff, I, it, it was a constant, constant, uh, source of anxiety because I'm like, okay, if they know this, this is this is how they're gonna see me. They're gonna think I'm just. They're gonna think I'm just gay, or they're gonna think I'm just using them or cheating on. Like if I see a guy, I'm gonna leave them for a guy, and it's just like, no, um, I'm, I'm I'm dating you. I'm I'm dating you for a reason. Not I don't I don't care about what's out here. And then with uh, I mean talking to guys, I found it. A little bit easier. I don't have that wor that worry so much. But you, you, one of the interesting parts of your of your story that you shared was that when you were in, I think it was college, you talked about um, feeling like you had to kind of sneak around teammates and roommates while you were dating women, and and I uh, that stuck out to me as well. That's that's interesting. Not kind of what I expected. I could I could see you know if you were dating men that that might that you might feel like you need to sneak around, but you said it was dating women. What, what was that about? Well, it was actually, it was actually both. Uh, it was actually, it was actually, yeah, it was actually both, but um, just, it, it was more so with, with men. But when I'm, when I was dating women as well, there were, so a few of my teammates knew and one of the one of my teammates that knew she would all like 
some of the girls that I was interested in, she would try and tell them before I could tell them. And that just, that really upset me. Like that, that really made me mad. And I'm just like, can you please, like I, my dating life and who I talked to has nothing to do with you. So can you please like remove yourself from my, my situation or my life outside of practice? Yeah, that's weird. She felt almost like she had to intercede. That's that's strange. So that makes sense why you might want to want to keep it on, uh, keep it quiet. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, everybody, hang tight. Um, we'll be back after these couple commercials with more with Chris Kinney. Okay, we're we're back with Chris and, and, and Chris. With the time we have left, I want to kind of talk about a couple things. One was your time in Japan, and two, your time at the at the 2018 Olympics. Yeah, and I I don't want to dig a ton into um, the the kind of the 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 bullying about your sexual orientation that you experienced in in Japan, just because I think you detailed it so well in the story, and people should go to the story on Outsports and read that part of it because it's 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 it is shocking what. Chris had to deal with, but the part that I'm I'm most interested in is is the difference that you saw and how you were treated between being a a black Japanese man in the United States and a black Japanese man in Japan. So in the states, being I, I'm I've always been proud of my Japanese and black heritage and. But in the states, I've always I've always had to be to present a certain way, or I've been expected to pre present a certain way, and I'm usually just in my own world, like listening to music, skipping around, like singing to myself, and people are like, "Okay, you have this big, jacked, six foot two black guy just skipping around. Like, what the heck is he doing?" Uh, I felt the pressure to conform to how people thought I should act. So that would be the way I talked, the way, the way, yeah, the way I talked, the way I dressed, how I acted. And there have been times where even I've had other LGBT teammates that were in the closet that would also kind of poke fun at me being eccentric or me being just doing me and knowing full and well that I knew about them. And it, like, I would get kind of ridiculed from that aspect. And then in Japan, it was more of, you're, you're seen more of as an oddity. And so I was just the American that was training with all of these Japanese people and I mean, one day, one of my teammates got into my phone and uh, when we were at practice, because I mean, all of our stuff is sitting by the track and uh, we're all like all of our bags and stuff are there and we're all practicing. So I guess while I was practicing, they might, or they might have seen me put my combination into my phone, got into my phone and saw all of that information, like me uh, talking with uh gay friends or if I was using an app and talking to someone, uh, they saw all of that. And that's when they had something to use. Like before, uh, when the bullying was starting, 
I was getting other messages, but then once they found out my sexual orientation, that became their main source of ammunition to try and harass me to, to leave, to quit and leave. So did you feel that there was, there was any harassment because you were black there or was it really just, that was a non-issue and it was really just about your sexual orientation? In Japan, I mean, there. In Japan, you it's a mono-ethnic culture, so it's pretty much Japan and everyone else. And then everyone else, you have these subcategories. So it wasn't so much that I was black; uh, it was more sexual orientation based. Uh, in the states, it's a lot more based upon how I look, my outward appearance. So I look black, or I look African American mixed with something. And so, yeah, there's, there's two different, there's two different ways I have to kind of balance or present myself in Japan and in the States. Which do you feel more comfortable in? Honestly, I felt very comfortable present like how I presented in Japan, just because there's, there's some cultural eccentricities there that, that allow me to kind of be me. And I can keep that, I can still, I can keep that for myself. But in the, in the U.S., that's transitioning from your in-group to your out-group and presenting is a lot different than in Japan. So, I mean, I kind of had my own little, my own little world going on while I was living overseas in Japan. Well, again, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I want people to go to read your story because I, I, I thought that the part that, about the bullying and, and um, you know, it actually inter- getting in the way of you competing and, and, and the reaction that, that, that people in Japan your, on your team had to you being LGBTQ is powerful. And the way you expressed it in the story, I, I want people to go read the story. Um, but I want to switch, uh, lastly, to the 2018 Olympics okay. and, and you're in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious talking to people who are in, in the Olympics in 2016 and 2018 as LGBTQ headlines mm-hmm. were popping up and you mm-hmm. had some very high profile people uh, who mm-hmm. were LGBTQ. Irene Voost from the Netherlands, Adam Rippon, Gus Kenworthy, Eric Radford. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of these other LGBTQ athletes making these big headlines and, and, and getting some national and international attention while you were there? Yes, I was. Uh, I actually approached both Gus and Adam, and I was just like, man, I really appreciate you being just authentically and unapologetically yourself. That's, and I was like, that's so amazing. That's so inspirational. Uh, not only to me, but just to, I, I think a lot of the young athletes that are watching the games and you give them someone to look up to. And I was just like, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being that, that, I guess, beacon or thanks for being that, that model that they, uh, the athletes can look up to. And, and they were pretty sweet about it. As you were talking to them, did was it clear to them that you were in the community? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely, I told them straight out. And I mean, I would chat with them about, uh, I would chat with them about uh, just different things. And actually, Gus was in the room above my, 
So he, his apartment was like exactly above mine, one floor above mine. So like I would hang out and chat with him uh, from time to time. And yeah, he was uh, very encouraging. I don't remember, but is, is Bob Sled the first week, the second week, or both weeks? We are one of the last sports uh-huh. to go on. So uh-huh. we're just sitting there the entire time watching everybody compete. Well, you know what? I talked to um, uh, like Eric Radford, for example, a figure skater. You know, he talks about being so grateful that figure skating is the first week, men's figure skating, um, because he's done. And the second half of the Olympics, he can go party, he can go talk to the media, he can do whatever he wants to do, um, you know, just go see whatever events. And Adam is the same way, kind of like, oh, I get the next eight days to just kind of go around and have a good time. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're one of the last events, you don't get the party. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I get to go around and cheer on my teammates uh, while while still training, uh, see them compete, uh, maybe go have one drink at the at the USA house while like I watch, just gather with everybody from Team USA, um, and then had some time to go out and sightsee. You mentioned that you are headed to Lake Placid next. You are going to make a, a a full throttle run at twenty twenty two. Uh, yeah, I am. So this, this quad has been kind of crazy. So I was finishing grad school, uh, getting my, getting my MBA out of the way. So that took up my last two years. Uh, the, the season directly after the quad, I competed for half the season. And then this past season, I just took completely off to finish school and I, I've been nursing an injury. So I'm just trying to get back and, uh, jump right in for the next yeah for the next games and while i'm also planning my future past sport as well would it mean something more to you to to compete for the united states in the olympics as an out lgbtq person i uh, yeah i definitely think so uh i mean there's there's that so at the at the 2018 games because you have so many different communities, so many different people from different walks of life, and they're just all celebrating your accomplishments and like they're, they're rallying for you to do well and competing against the rest of the world. And this past games I had, I was a part of, I was featured in, with the Asian, like Team USA Asian athletes, Team USA Afri- uh, Black athletes. And so to be in another category, uh yeah it's it's just amazing and i i definitely think in sport representation is everything because as a kid i mean you look up to you have athletes that you look up to that you watch compete and you bond with them over because you see a bit of yourself in them so i i mean it would i think it would mean a quite a bit to just be a hundred percent transparent and have be introduced to the world for me. Well, speaking of uh, watching athletes as a kid, I end the podcast every week with the same two questions. And the first one is uh, who's an Olympian who has inspired you? David Oliver has been one of my favorite Olympians since uh, I was in college. 
So he was a 110 meter hurdler for the USA. And I mean, back when I, I was a track runner from middle school all the way what, out of college, ran post collegiately. And so he was always one of my just heroes uh, growing up and then getting the chance to, to, to practice with him and uh, in his training group and just chat with him a bit was, was amazing. And then I actually remember the first time I got to compete against him when I was in college, I was a bit starstruck. Like I was acting like a, a middle school, a teenage middle school girl. Like I'm just cut like all giggly and like, Oh my God. I also uh, was a hurdler growing up though. Uh, um, my guess is I wasn't nearly as fast as you. So uh, <laughs> my, my career ended in, at the end of high school, but mm-hmm. hur- hurdling hold, holds a dear place in my heart. Uh, the the other question that I ask everyone, and I know that you're a fan, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say, is uh, give me a, a character or a moment from the Lord of the Rings that stands out to you. So is this movies or books? It can be either. Some people have, we have had people dip into the books. I've had people stick to the movies. Doesn't matter. I'm torn between Tom Bombadil and Galadriel. Okay, why each of them? So Galadriel, she just the in, just the insight she has into people and reading people's hearts and reading their minds, and she, I mean, she's one of the most OG powerful characters uh, within the Lord of the Rings universe, and she's extremely she, she's very elegant, but extremely she she knows she's. She knows she's powerful. She knows she's beautiful. But those aren't what define her. And she's just, she's just a boss. Uh, just, I, I love her. And what about Tom Bombadil? What, what is it about sticks, sticks out about him? Tom Bombadil, he's just fun, lighthearted, like, loves, he's like this, a, a spirit of, like, the forest or of earth and what it represents and he's just he he has zero care in the world and that's how i typically like to be just i'm typically in my own world uh even when i'm training or uh warming up for a competition i have my music on and i'm just kind of dancing around enjoying warming up while still staying like laser focused because that's how i that's just how i that i operate and get into the zone Well, this is is the 32nd episode of this podcast, and you're the second person to say Tom Bombadil, and you're the second person to say Galadriel. So you're – the the most common one is – oh, gosh. Erwin. No, the most popular one – nobody's said Erwin yet. The most popular one is – oh, my gosh. Legolas? Yeah, Legolas. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow, brain fade I'm a huge, I love Lord of the Rings, so I can't believe I can remember that. Um, But either way, Chris Kinney, I so appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and for you sharing your story. Every story we share means something. And and I I know the whole community is going to be rooting for you to get to the 2022 Olympics. And uh, if there's anything we can do, you just let us know. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you guys as well. It's, uh, this experience has been yeah, pretty amazing. You can follow Chris Kinney on Twitter at ChrisAK4298. And he's on Instagram at KAI underscore KUN24. Kai Kun24. 
I'll be back next week with my second interview with Stephanie Zaza. Stephanie is a former CDC official who, when I had her on the podcast in March, predicted what the next three months of the coronavirus was going to look like. And she could not have been more accurate. So we're going to have her back on to talk about what the next six to 12 months might look like for sports and for the rest of us. Between now and then, I hope everyone in the United States is able to celebrate Independence Day in whatever way is meaningful to you. I know that my family will be certainly celebrating everything that independence and liberty and freedom mean to us. Take care and we'll talk to you next week.